All right, we're going to, uh, if you have a Bible, would you please turn with me to John chapter 15. If you don't have a Bible, there should be a red one nearby. And uh, if you are going to use the red Bibles, it's on page 526. If you don't have a a Bible at home, uh, we would love to just give you this red Bible. This is yours. We want to make sure that you've got access to the Word of God uh, every day. And so if you don't have a Bible at home, grab one of these on your way out. Take it home. This is our gift to you. All right. In John 15, Jesus is actually going to say the final I am statement. Uh, We've done these a little bit out of order so that we can line up with Easter morning, but today we're looking at his last one that he says when he says, I am the vine. And we've been looking at these statements, these seven claims that Jesus has made about himself throughout the Gospel of John. And we've said all along that who Jesus is and what we believe who Jesus is has the power to change our life. So whether you believe what Jesus says about himself is true or false changes your life. And there's a lot of things, I think, that we would like to have in our lives changed. I mean, I I know in my own life, uh, I am regularly reminded how I need to grow as being a gentle and loving husband and father. Maybe for you, uh, in, in a season of great chaos and anxiety, You're longing for more joy and happiness in your own life. Or or maybe you're struggling with something and and you would love in your life to grow in self-control. You know, maybe there's a a, a sin habit or addiction that you'd like to curb or cut out. And so you, you, if only I had this thing going on in my life, then my life would be better. What, what is it in your life that you're struggling with or that you're wrestling with or that you're thinking about? Man, that if only this could change in my life, my life would be so much better. Now, I, I posted online in 2019, I think it was like 86 million self-help books were bought. People want to change in their life. What do you want to change in your life? What is it that you want to change? When Christians talk about this kind of change, this life transformation, uh, theologians call this sanctification, this process of becoming more and more like Jesus. This is what happens when we believe in Jesus. I I like to talk about, when, when I talk to other people about story church and about the story of Jesus, inviting people into the story of Jesus, I say that the story of Jesus, I believe, and I think scripture affirms this, it is the only way to see real, lasting life change. It's the only way that that you can actually see transformation. It's this process of sanctification, becoming more and more like Jesus. This is what Paul talks about when he says that the fruit of the Spirit is produced in us. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, self-control. What is it that you want to see change in your own life? Well, this morning in John 15, Jesus is going to give us a fail-proof way to see life change. And so if you're going to follow along in your notes and want to know where I'm going, this is where I'm going. Because Jesus is the vine. 
We can experience real transformation and change when we abide in the life of Christ, in the word of Christ, and in the love of Christ. We can experience real change when we abide in the life of Christ, the word of Christ, and the love of Christ. Well, let's read John 15, verses 1 through 13. Jesus is saying this to his disciples on the night before his crucifixion. He says this, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it might bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are the vine dresser and that our Savior Jesus is our vine. We pray through your spirit that we would connect to him and that your word would speak to us this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So first, we can experience real transformation and change when we abide in the life of Christ. Jesus says this in the first two verses. He says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it might bear more fruit. And again, he says this in verse 5. Jesus says, I am the vine, and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can't do anything. Jesus is saying that if you want to see the fruit of the Spirit produced in your life, if you want to see any kind of lasting transformation, then you must abide in him. You must remain in him. Jesus is using this illustration of a vineyard where there's vines and branches off of the vine that bear fruits. And I don't know about you, but I haven't spent much time in a vineyard, but I have spent time out at Patterson Farms, and I've walked through the orchards, and it's the same thing. 
there are wonderful trees planted in rows, and off of those trees come branches, and on those branches, the most delicious apples grow. Jesus is saying that if you want to be a branch that produces fruit, real fruit, real life transformation, then you have to be connected to the tree. Because the life comes up from the roots and through the tree and out into the branches. If you aren't connected to the tree, you can't produce fruit. That's as simple as it is. He's just saying it clearly. Unless you abide in me, you will not produce fruit. A couple of years ago, I think it was early fall, this powerful storm swept through Northeast Ohio. If you were living here, you remember it. it there was something called a derecho that came, which is this like downforce powerful wind a sustained wind that came, and it actually especially hit hard here in Mayfield and Lyndhurst. And if, if you were in the area after that storm, for days, if you would drive up and down the streets, you would just see piles and piles of branches that had fallen off the trees. I mean, this, this wind knocked down trees. It damaged buildings. It took down power lines. And so for days, there were just piles of branches. And you know what? There was one thing I didn't see. As I drove up and down, I never saw anyone with a ladder trying to tie those branches back to the tree. Because if a, if a branch is not connected to the tree, there's no more use for it. Toss it out. Throw it away. It's burnt up. When a, when a branch falls off the tree, when it is dead, it can't get put back on the tree. If you want to have real fruit, Jesus is saying it has, the branch has to be connected to the tree. It has to be connected to the vine. You're either a dead branch not producing fruit, or you're a branch connected to the life of Jesus. Jesus is the vine. If you abide in the life of Christ, you will produce fruit. There's three implications to this. One, if you're not a Christian, I'm so glad that you're here or listening online. But my question for you is, are you tired yet of trying to produce life change apart from the source of life? Are you exhausted yet of trying to see life change apart from Jesus? If you are, that's the best place to be. Because when you admit that you are a dead branch, something amazing can happen. Paul talks about God being able to take wild branches and engrafting them to the source of life. So if you are a dead branch, turn to Jesus. He can connect you to himself and you can have life in him. But the second implication of this illustration is that if you are a Christian, if you are connected to Jesus, the degree in which you see life change in your life is to the degree that you invest time with Jesus. You see, that, that relationship, that union between the tree and the branch, that's where it happens. If you want to become like Jesus, 
you have to spend time with Jesus. If you want to be the kind of person that God has created you to be, you have to be with the one who is the new Adam, the new human, the new life, Jesus. You have to be with Jesus to become like Jesus. And then the third implication is this. This illustration, I mean, it's very simple. If you are connected to the tree, you will produce fruit. You will. It is promised. It is inevitable. Now, there are seasons in which fruit grows better than others, and it takes time for good fruit to grow. But it is inevitable. And so that means there's no third way. You are either a dead branch that will be tossed aside, or you are a branch connected to the tree and you will grow fruit. There's no such thing as being a Christian that doesn't care about producing fruit. There, there's no such thing as that middle way of being connected to the source of life and yet not produce fruit. So my question to you is, are you abiding in the life of Christ? Are you connected to him? Do you have a genuine relationship with Jesus. I, I know many people in this room grew up in church or, or went to a Christian school or while they were in college got wrapped up in a Christian ministry and, and saw, you know, there would maybe a, a moment where you said, yes, you know, you raised your hand, you came down to the altar, you prayed a prayer, you had an awakening experience. That's wonderful. I'm so glad that the Lord blessed you with those things. But, but relying on that moment, that time, and say, yeah, 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 I, I'm connected to the tree. But you're not producing fruit? There's no way, there's no middle ground. You're either a dead branch or you're tapped into the source of life and producing fruit. If you want to see real life change, we have to abide in the life of Christ. But secondly, we also see that Jesus says that if you want to see real life change, if you want to see lasting transformation, you have to abide in the word of Christ. Abide in the word of Christ. Look at verse 7. Jesus says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Now, I'm going to talk about that prayer component in a minute, but I want you to see that Part of abiding in Christ is abiding in the word of Christ. Or in, in reality, it's, it's allowing the word of Christ to abide in you. And this is what it does. Look at verse 3. After Jesus says that the Father will prune the branches so that they produce more fruit, Jesus says, you are already cleaned because of the word that I have spoken to you. We don't pick it up in our English, but in, in the Greek, the word for prune and the word for clean are almost the exact same word. There's just an additional I sound in the word for clean. Jesus is saying, the Father will prune you, and if you hear my words, my word will prune you. My word will cleanse you. It'll make you more and more fruitful. The word of God, the words of Christ, our scriptures that, that we have through the Holy Spirit, these are given to us to produce fruit in our lives. 
that they are what saves us. The word of Christ saves us. Hear what Paul says in Romans chapter 10, that our faith comes from hearing and hearing the word of Christ. And so the word of Christ saves us. It connects us to the life of Christ, but it also sustains us. Jesus said that man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. The word of Christ sustains us, but it also challenges us. Paul, again, in 2 Timothy, says that all scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching us, reproofing us, correcting us, and training us in all righteousness. The word of God prunes us. It's like a knife, sharper than any two-edged sword, that pierces into our heart. And it cuts out like a surgical knife anything that is dying or decaying or diseased. It might hurt, but it is for our good that we might produce more fruit. If you want to see lasting transformation, you have to abide in the word of Christ. Now, when I was studying this passage, you know, the word abide is used so much here. And the word abide is one of those words where, like, you, you sort of know what it means, but, you, you, you know, you, you, have a, you have a vague sense of what abide means. And so I actually looked up, what does it mean to abide? Well, it, it, it's related to the word that looks just like it, abode, like a, a dwelling place or a house, you know, make your abode. Actually, I, I found one commentator that, that liked to translate it to make yourself at home with, to remain in, to stay with. In fact, the word all throughout the Gospels is used to describe when one person lives in another person's house or stays at that house while they're traveling. And so to abide in Jesus is to make yourself at home with Jesus. So what does it mean to make yourself at home with the word of Christ? Well, Sarah and I love having people over in our house. I mean, it's one of the things that gives us most joy and pleasure in life. And we know that we're getting close in our relationship with people, that we've had them over and that we're growing familiar with them. When our friends, uh, they walk themselves into the kitchen and they know where our cups are and they know where the silverware is and they go to the fridge and they know what to do. I mean, they, they've become so familiar with our house that they are making themselves home. They know where... You know, I, we like to say that they've got fridge privileges, <laughs> that they're, they've got the privilege to come in and go to our fridge. They know what's in there. What's ours is theirs. But that takes spending time with them. That takes building a relationship with them. So what does it take to make yourself at home with the word of Christ, to become familiar with it, to know what's in there, what God is saying to us, in the scriptures. Well, I think simply put, to begin, it, it starts with reading God's word and studying God's word. To, to sit down and say, all right, Lord, what do you have to say to me here? W whether that's a, a morning time for you or, you know, during a lunch break or before you go to bed, what does it look like for you to spend time reading and studying the word of God. Maybe you need to find a friend. A ask me. 
or, or a spouse and say, hey, can we get together? Can we sit down and open up the word and read it and learn from it? Let's study it together. You know, I, I can't wait till as, as we continue to grow as a church to be able to offer like a Bible study and theology class so that we can grow in our understanding of the depths of the knowledge of the love that God has for us. I can't wait for that. But reading it and studying it is really just the first step. The next thing we have to do is learn to sing it and pray it. And that's what we do on Sunday mornings with the, the songs that we choose to sing. The, the words that we put in our liturgy elements, they are intentionally designed to be the word of Christ, to fill our own mouths, so that as we sing, we're singing the word of Christ, so that we become familiar to it. That as we pray, we're praying the words of Christ. Hey, here's a suggestion. Don't throw your bulletin away as you leave this space. Take this home and let this help you sing and pray the words of Christ in your own way. Take the rhythms of the gospel that God invites us to worship, that we need a savior, that there is a, a, a plan of redemption through his son, and that we're reminded that we're sent into the world to bring redemption through the spirit. Let this order of worship help order your worship at home. And I love what Jesus says. He says, as the word of God abides in your heart, ask whatever you want and God will give it to you. The reason why Jesus can say that is because as you become familiar with the word of Christ, his desires become your desires. What he wants in your life becomes what you want in your life. What he wants you to do in the world, you begin to want to see happen in the world. And as your desires align with his desires, ask, ask for it. The Father is glorified in giving us what we want. So we need to read it and study it. We need to sing it and pray it. And we need to hear it and reflect on it. I mean, that's what this sermon is about. That's what, why we have a sermon every week is because we need to hear the word of God preached over us to remind us that, yes, there is a rescuer. We have been saved from our sin. That changes everything about your life. So take the word of God, hear it, and reflect on it. Hey, when you go out to lunch after the service, talk about what you learned through Christ's word. When, when you lay down at night, pray, Lord, Reveal in my heart what your word wants me to do in light of the sermon. This is why we have story groups. And this is the way in which we gather together as God's people and reflect on the preaching of Christ's word. If you're not connected to a story group yet, I think that you are dangerously missing out on an opportunity for the Lord to prune you so that you would produce more fruit as we gather in community to reflect on Christ's word. The reason why we need to abide in Christ's word is that in this word, in the scriptures, God reveals who he wants you to be. And he convicts you of the ways in which you are not who he wants you to be. And it tells you that there is hope. 
that in his son, you can be who you were meant to be. And that through the spirit, you can be who you want, who you were made to be in this world. Jesus says, if you want to have real life transformation, you have to abide in the life of Christ and you have to abide in the word of Christ. And as we read the word, we will be reminded that we have to abide in the love of Christ. We have to abide in the love of Christ. Look at verse 9. This is remarkable what Jesus says. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. When I first read that, I had to read it again. As the Father has loved Jesus, so Jesus loves us. It is perfect love. It is infinite love. It is the very love that the Father has with the Son that is ours when we abide in him. I love how Sally Lloyd-Jones, who wrote the Jesus Storybook Bible, talks about this love. She says that this love is the uh, never stopping, never giving up. It's an unbreaking, always and forever love. And that is yours when we abide in Jesus. As we experience that love, we can see real transformation, and here's how. At Story Church, we like to talk about creating a culture of grace. And that's in opposition to a culture of performance. Now, in most cases, when we try to change our lives, it is rooted in this desire to gain someone's approval by our performance. Hey, it might be a parent who for most of your life, they've dropped subtle hints of the way that they think that your life ought to be. And so you change your life, you go to school, you get the job, you marry the right person out of this desire to gain your parents' approval that they would look at your life and that they'd be proud of the man or woman that you've become. Or maybe your spouse, in maybe not so subtle ways, has said, hey, I, I think you need to stop doing this and do this. You know, I, there might be ways in which your spouse has said, I want you to be like that. And so you begin to change your life out of this desire to win their approval of you. Or maybe it's society at large. The, the, the society that says, this is how you're supposed to look. This is how you're supposed to behave. This is how you're supposed to be successful. Or maybe it's yourself. You grew up with this image of, man, my life would be happy and full and complete if only I had this, that, and the other. So all your life you've been performing to try to gain the approval of yourself that you could look back in your life and say, I've made it. That's a culture of performance. And when we take that culture of performance and try to put that on a relationship with God, it's dangerous. And I fear that so often when we try to become like Christ, 
when we try to produce fruit, that we're engaging with God in this culture of performance, that we need to change our lives for our Heavenly Father to approve of us. But two things happen when we relate to God on a culture of performance. The first, rarely, we actually do change. We, we see the life change happen, and we grow proud of who we've become. And then we have to work on our pride. There's this never-ending cycle of things that we have to work on. And that rarely happens because the second thing is more often. We realize that the standard that God has called us to is so overwhelmingly high. And we are crushed with the sense of how deep in the pit of despair we really are. We're crushed. When we relate to God in a culture of performance, we fail. and We don't produce fruit. But the gospel offers us a culture of grace. We need a culture of grace because when we live in a culture of performance, this is what we say to ourselves. I have to have my life together. I can't admit my weaknesses. I can't be real about my limitations or else people won't love me. A, a, a culture of performance says, if I don't live up, if I am not who I should be, if I'm real about the struggles that I'm facing in life, then people will reject me. We hide behind that mask of performance that covers the ugliness of sin that is just true of who we are. That's why we desperately need a culture of grace. And here's what a culture of grace says. As, they, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. Jesus offers us a culture of grace. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. God's perfect, infinite, never stopping, never ending, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever, love is yours. Stop trying to perform for God. Rest in the fact that in Jesus, you have his approval. You have his love. What Jesus is saying is, whatever is true of him is now true of us. The love that the Father has towards him is now for us. Because we're united to him. Because we're connected to the life of God, whatever the love is that God has for him, he has now for us. This is what a culture of grace says. How do we know when we abide in his love? Verse 13 shows us how we know that we abide in his love, how we know that we have the Father's approval. He says this, that greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. If you are a friend of Jesus, he died for you. His love is now yours. Jesus demonstrated his love for us when he laid down his life as a substitute in our place. 
When, he, when we become friends with Jesus, we become the, the people that he died for. We become the objects of his love. When we're united to him, connected to his life, when we are cleaned by his word, when we reflect and abide and make our home in his love, we have this love. I love what one theologian says, is, says that when we're connected with Jesus, we're doubly blessed. We have the forgiveness of our sins, yes, but we are also covered in the righteousness of Jesus. So that whatever can be true of Jesus is now true of us. It's as if we were the ones when the clouds opened up and the voice from heaven came down and said, this is my son, this is my daughter, with whom I am well pleased. If you abide in him, that is true of you. It's only when we know in our hearts of this love that we have from the Father are we set free from a culture of performance and we can begin to produce the fruit of the Spirit, not out of a sense of obligation or duty or performance, but because of his gracious love now for us. Friends, let us abide in Christ. Because when we abide in Christ, we will produce fruit. We will see lasting change and transformation. We have to abide in his life through faith, abide in his word by studying it and reflecting on it, allowing it to prune us. And we need to abide in his love, knowing that just as the Father loves the Son, so we are loved by Jesus. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you.